Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I am a numbers guy. I don't know about you, how you enjoy numbers, but I love numbers. I was one of those weird people that loved math when I was in school. I love studying numbers. I love digging into statistics. I love comparing percentages. But I know for a lot of people, a lot of people don't enjoy numbers. For some people, numbers seem to all kind of run together. Let me give you an example. I'm going to put a couple of numbers up here. One of them is the word million. That's a number. Let me show you another one. Billion, right? Million and billion are very different, correct? It's very different, especially if you're talking about money, right? Now, I'll be honest with you. If you want to give me either, I'll take it, right? <clears throat> but, but there's a big difference between million and billion. Now, when you look at it, it's just one letter as far as how it's spelled. But the difference between a million and a billion is significant. But for some of us, we hear numbers like this so much that they just kind of all run together, million, billion, trillion, whatever. It's just another number. But let me give you an idea, for example, of the difference between million and billion. If you were going to count to one million and you were going to do it by seconds, so every second you would count another number, one, two, three, to count to one million by seconds would take you 11 and a half days. That's a million seconds. Now, that seems a little bit overwhelming, but it is doable, right? I mean, you could feasibly for 11 and a half days count to one million. But if you were going to do the same thing and count to one billion by seconds, you know how long it would take you to count to a billion? Almost 32 years. It's a big difference between a million and a billion, right? It looks kind of the same, but we can get to a million in a couple of weeks. Some of us won't see a billion if we start counting right now, right? We'll continue to count on the other side, right? We're not going to make it to a billion. There's a big difference between a billion and a million. You say, why are you talking to us about numbers? Because I want to share a number with you this morning. It's a staggering number. It's a number that I've been staring at for the last few days. And the more I look at it, the more overwhelming it becomes. And to be real honest, I've been staring at a version of this number because the number that I'm about to put up here is no longer accurate because it's changing rapidly. Here's the number. Seven billion, 740 million, 780,919. 
That's a staggering number. If we were going to count to this number, one second at a time, it would take us 246 years. Let me tell you why that's important. Do you know how old our country is? America is 243 years old. Meaning, to count to this number, we'd have to go back in history beyond the signing of the Declaration of Independence to get to this number by today. 7.7 billion is the number. You say, what's that number? It's the population of planet Earth right now. 7.7 billion people. If you are going to start today counting every person on planet Earth and count one person a second, you would be counting for the next 246 years. And as I said, this number is changing constantly. As a matter of fact, this number increases by 40 people every 10 seconds. Every 10 seconds, it goes up by the number of 40 people. As a matter of fact, when I moved here in December of 2000, 19 years ago, the population of planet Earth in December of 2000 was 6.1 billion people. Since our church has been in existence, the world's population has increased by 1.6 billion people. And as followers of Jesus, here's what we need to understand today. Everyone of the 7.7 billion people in the world represents a soul, a person, a human being, an individual made in the image of God that's been created to enjoy a relationship with the one who made them. Boys and girls, men and women, teenagers, grandparents, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, all of these 7.7 billion people, precious in the sight of God. These 7.7 billion people in the world make up over 11,000 people groups. 11,000 different people groups with distinct culture and language and practices. 11,000 people groups that are gathered into 195 different nations filled with diversity and culture. And yet when you boil it all down, all 7.7 billion people in the world fall into one of two categories. They're either lost or they are found. 7.7 billion people, 11,000 people groups, 195 nations. 
And at the end of the day, every one of them is either lost or they're found. I looked up this week the definition of the word lost in the dictionary. I want to put it up here on the screen because when I read this definition, and this is just a term about general lostness or a definition of general lostness, the definition to me was striking as I thought about it in spiritual terms. Look at the definition. To be lost is not knowing where you are or how to get where you want to go. Let me ask you a question. Don't think about this in spiritual terms yet, but when's the last time you were lost? You know the feeling of being lost? We were on a beach this summer. My wife and I were down in Southern California on a beach this summer, and we were just kind of enjoying the day. The weather was beautiful, and we were just sitting out there relaxing, and um, right in the middle of a relaxing day, all of a sudden you could feel a panic just kind of beginning to move like a wave across the beach. And we figured out very quickly that there was a small child that was lost. We met the parent of that child, and, and you could just see the, the fear in the face of this parent with a child, a small child who'd wandered off on the beach and is now lost, and now there's kind of these, these search parties beginning to form all over the beach as people are just scouring the beach, and, and by God's grace, they were able to find that little child, but, but I'll never forget the look in that parent's eye when we, they realized that their child was lost. Lost, being lost always leads to fear and panic and sadness. Being lost is never a good thing, but being spiritually lost is the ultimate worst. When I say that everybody in the world is either lost or found, I'm talking about a spiritual condition. To be spiritually lost is to be hopelessly separated from God. Let me, let me have that definition back up here for just a moment. To be spiritually lost is to be hopelessly separated from God. I love this part of the definition, not knowing where you are. Most of the people in the world that are lost don't even know that they're lost. They just know that something's missing. They just are thinking in their heart, there has to be something more. There's, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. They don't know where they are, and they sure don't know how to get to where they want to go. That's lostness. Spiritual lostness is to be hopelessly separated from a relationship with God, and it is to be headed into an eternity separated from God. And as we sit here today, there are billions of people on planet Earth who are lost. People that were created for a relationship with God and yet have no relationship with God. And here's the sad reality. There's not anything they can do to change their condition. They don't know where they are. They don't know how to get where they want to be. The book of Isaiah describes it this way. He said, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. 
That's the human condition. We come into this world lost, separated from God. Maybe you're here today. And just hearing me even talk about this, you're saying, Pastor, you don't know me, but you're describing exactly where I'm living. I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know what life's all about. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get where I need to go. I don't even know where I need to go. I just know that today I am lost. Listen, you're not alone. Lostness permeates the planet that we live on. All around the world, people are lost. But listen, if you're here today, and what I'm talking about is resonating with you, that there's a sense of lostness about your life, I got some good news for you. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19. Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to what? That which was what? Oh, here's the good news. Listen, it's one thing to be lost. It's something else to know when you're lost. Somebody's looking for you. Listen, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, the good news of the message of Jesus is that Jesus saw us in our lostness. Because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. Because of our sin, we're headed into an eternity without God. But Jesus saw us in our condition of lostness. And the scripture teaches us that Jesus stepped out of eternity and he stepped into time. He took on human flesh. He lived a sinless life. And then he died on a cross for our sin. He took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for your sin so that now you and I can turn from our sin, put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we can go from being lost to being found, to being saved through Jesus. If you're here today and you feel lost There is hope in Jesus. I discovered that hope in September of 1989. I was a freshman in college, and I personally came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Jesus found me when I didn't even know what I was looking for. You may be here today, and you just came to church today just because you thought, you know what, I'm so lost. My life's in such a place that I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to go to church. And maybe you just came here hoping to find the answer. Listen to me. Our church is not the answer, but Jesus is the answer. Today, Jesus can save you. He can take you from right where you are and he can give you meaning and purpose and value and significance and an eternal abiding relationship with God. You can go from being lost to being found in Christ. So before I go any further, I want to do something this morning. I want you to just bow your head all over the building. Don't put your stuff away. I'm not done yet. All right. But right now, with nobody looking around but me, 
If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, (laughs) you don't know me, but I don't know how you know about where I'm living. Let me tell you how I know, because I was there too. It's where we all are apart from Jesus. If you're here today and you are lost and you're ready to receive Jesus and be found new in Him, I want you to just pray right there in your seat, in your heart after me. It's not the words of a prayer that bring salvation. It's faith in Jesus. But you can put your faith in Jesus through praying a prayer. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I know that you rose again from the dead. I believe in you, Jesus. I thank you for coming to seek and to save me. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I turn from my sin and I receive your salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look this way. Look this way. Listen. If for the very first time in your life, you just prayed with me and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You are no longer lost. You have been found in him. You've been found in him. And in just a few moments at the end of our service, I'm going to ask you to do something. All right. Don't get nervous. All right. Don't, don't, don't bolt out of here. I'm not going to make you do cartwheels or anything like that. But I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of our service. All right. But for the next few moments, I want to talk to all of us for just a minute about this idea of lostness. Because as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been sent into the world to reach the lost. That's 7.7 billion people. Whose responsibility is that? Let me tell you whose responsibility is. It's ours. And that 7.7 billion is not just people in huts on the other side of the world. That's your neighbors. That's your coworkers. That's your classmates. That's sometimes people in your own family that make up that number of lostness in the world, people that need Jesus. But if we are going to understand and reach lostness, we must understand the heart of Jesus for lost people. And there's no place in the Bible that better describes that than Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these verses up on the screen so you can follow along. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is found hanging out with lost people. That's the context. Jesus is hanging out with lost people. And religious people start criticizing Jesus for hanging out with lost people. You got to understand the context because in that context, Jesus tells three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. And he tells a story about a lost son. But all three of these stories are told so that this church crowd can understand his heart for lost people. Because they don't get his heart. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 15. We're only going to read the first of these stories, beginning in verse 1. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. 
So get this. Here's Jesus teaching, and here comes all this lost crowd. The tax collectors were singled out because in that day, the tax collectors were people that had been given permits by the Roman government to extort and swindle money out of innocent people. So the tax collectors, that was the worst thing you could possibly be called. I know sometimes today we still think that's the worst thing you can possibly be called, but it's nothing like it was in this day. They could use any means necessary to extort and steal money away from innocent people. He says the tax Tax collectors and the sinners. Who's the crowd Jesus is hanging out with? Tax collectors and sinners. Look at verse 2. The Pharisees and the scribes. Who's that? That's the church people. Begin to say it out loud. Mm -hmm, That's the church people, right? You ever heard some of that in church before? They began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners. And eats with them. How dare him? So he told him a parable. He said, let me tell you guys a story. Here's what he said. Verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, Hear the beauty of this. Listen, if you just prayed with me this morning, hear the beauty of this. When he's found it, listen to this. He lays it on his shoulders. Listen, if you just prayed with me this morning to receive Christ, here's what happened. Jesus just picked you up. And he is now carrying you. You, Some of you, as you prayed with me, you're thinking, man, it feels like a weight has been. Let me tell you why. Because he just picked you up. Says, and he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he tells a story about a coin, then he tells a story about a son. But all of these revealing the heart of Jesus for the lost. I'm going to give it to you in three statements. Number one, Jesus loves the lost. Say that out loud with me. Jesus loves the lost. You know, this is the heartbeat of the entire Bible. The whole story of the Bible is really the story of God relentlessly pursuing those who are lost because he loves them. It starts in Genesis chapter 1 when when God creates the world. And then in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sin against God and they enter into lostness and they usher all of humanity into lostness. In Genesis chapter 3, God begins this relentless pursuit that crescendos in the New Testament in John chapter 3 and verse 16 and here's what it says for God so what loved the world the world that was lost God so loved the world that even though they'd sinned against him God gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life in Luke's gospel we see this love for the lost demonstrated in two ways first of all the way Jesus acted 
Look how he acts here in this passage of Scripture. Look at that phrase. I'm going to put it back up here again. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's the accusation that they're making against Jesus. The religious crowd, the church people say, would you look at Jesus? He is receiving sinners. The word receive here is a word that that really has to do with hospitality. It means to welcome. It means to receive as a friend. This word receive oozes relationships. Here we see Jesus building relationships with people that are far from God. Now, in seeing this in Jesus, you see two radically different perspectives. Let me give them to you. Here's the first one. The religious crowd, the church people, saw a relationship with the lost as something to be said out loud. It's unfortunate, but 2,000 years later, it hadn't changed a lot. There's a whole lot of church people today that still look at lost people like that. See, the religious crowd looked at Jesus, and they looked at lost people and said they need to be avoided. Religious people, church people can often say things like this, what are those people doing here? That's in essence what they're saying to Jesus. What are those people doing here? Is it safe for us to associate with that kind of people? If we let those people in, what are people going to think about us? That's exactly what this religious church crowd was processing here in front of Jesus. They saw a relationship with lost people as something to be avoided. And unfortunately, a lot of church people, a lot of religious people still view lost people like that. Can I let you in on a secret? Lost people act like lost people because they are lost people. That's the bottom line. It's not because they're different than you. It's not because you're better than them. It's not because we've arrived and we've learned. No, lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. And the only reason we don't act like lost people is because we've been found by the one who was seeking and saving that which was lost. Look at the different perspective we see in Jesus. The religious crowd saw it this way. But Jesus saw a relationship with lost people as something to be pursued. Jesus said, those people, that's my kind of people. I love lost people. Let me ask you a question. You love lost people? Jesus loved lost people. We often look down our noses at lost people. We've been saved so long that we don't see lost people the way Jesus sees lost people. Maybe it's our season of life that we're in, raising our kids or grandkids or building our career. Maybe it's self-centeredness where we think somehow that Jesus saved me and it's really all about me. Listen, God saved you because he loves you, but he also saved you because he loves the people around you. 
And he wants to make his love known to them through your life. But often, here's what happens. We become like the religious crowd. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't be hanging out with those people. What's somebody going to think about me if they see me hanging out with that guy? The way Jesus acted teaches us something. Sometimes it's spiritual activity that gets in our way. We get so busy doing church. It's a real danger for those that are in, in professional ministry. If we're not careful, we spend all of our time around saved people. We can get so busy doing ministry and forget that the church has been left here to be about taking the message of Jesus to lost people. I have a good friend that pastors a church in Brooklyn, New York named James Roberson. Listen to what James said. He said, the church can't save people, but the church can seek people. Amen? We can't save people, but we sure can seek people. And we ought to be about seeking relationships with people that don't know God at all. You see it in the way that Jesus acted, but you also see it in the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus told three stories in response to this accusation. One about a sheep, we just read it. One about a coin that was lost. And one about a son that was lost. All three of these stories communicate the love of Jesus for lost people. And all three of these stories, let me tell you what you see. The immense value of that which is is lost. There's a willingness in these stories to forsake everything for the one that is lost. You also see the endless pursuit of that which is lost. There's a willingness to go to any lengths to rescue that which is lost. And then you see the overwhelming joy which is, which, which, that, that is described when, when, when what is lost is found. All of these stories communicate the passion of Jesus for lost people. But you know what's wrong with a lot of us? We've been saved so long, we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. When you're lost, nothing else matters but being found. But once you get found, you can forget about other people who are still lost. A few years ago, I was reading a psalm in my devotional time and something struck me that I'd never never seen before I was reading in psalm chapter 9 verse 10 and I came to this phrase let me put it up here and show you it says and those who know your name will put their trust in you and man when I first read that that morning it was like my soul said yes I know his name. And no matter what happens to me today, no matter what pops up in my life, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, whatever happens to me today, I know his name. And I'm going to put my trust in him. But here's what I wrote down in the margin of my Bible as I sat there before the Lord that morning. What about those who don't? Here's what I mean by that. You got people that live beside you. You got people that work in the office next to you. You got people that sit in the row behind you in school who every day wake up with the same problems, the same challenges, the same circumstances you and I face, and they don't know his name. Tomorrow, if all hell breaks loose in your life, what are you going to do? You're going to run to the feet of Jesus. Amen? 
That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. You're going to run to the feet of Jesus, and you're going to get other Jesus followers praying with you and standing with you and encouraging you. Listen, here's what I'm telling you. we got a city here in Las Vegas with, with hundreds of thousands of people, over a million, almost two million people that, according to the most recent statistics, do not have a relationship with Jesus. And when they wake up tomorrow morning with those similar problems and those similar challenges, they are lost. They don't know where they are. And they don't know how to get to where they need to get to. But when we see Jesus, man, he loved lost people. Well, how does Jesus reach lost people? That leads me to the second thing I want you to see this morning. Number one, number two, Jesus reaches the lost through the found I'm going to put the verse back up here. We looked at a moment ago, Luke 19, 10. The Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came into this world. But where does Jesus now live? He now lives where? In us, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but by his Spirit, he lives in us as Christians. So let me show you another verse To kind of understand this, John 20, verse 21, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. What does that mean? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now he sent us into the world, and he desires to seek and to save that which was lost through us. How does it happen? Well, we got to do two things. Number one, we need to connect with lost people to accomplish the mission of Jesus. In the opening verse of this text, the scripture says all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him. That word near is a spatial word, meaning it's describing space close to Jesus. Here's what that means. These were people in his space. What does that mean for you and me? Where we live, where we work, where we play. That's our space, right? It's where we do life. It's your job. It's your home. It's your hobbies. It's where we live, work, and play. It's where we live our lives every day. What is that? That's our space. Here's what we learned from Jesus. We must be connecting with lost people in our space. Jesus sought to connect intentionally with the lost people in his space. But this is, again, where we get a little bit off track if we're not careful because what some Christians do is they take this, go, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start being friends of lost people. And I'm just going to pray that through my friendship, Jesus will just somehow make himself known to them. No, we need to connect with lost people. We need to build relationships with lost people. But we also need to communicate with lost people the message of Jesus. We need to speak the gospel to them. That's why the Bible says here they were in his space. He was receiving them, but then he was speaking to them. They were listening to him. They were paying attention to what he had to say. Jesus was teaching them the gospel. We need to connect with people who are lost, and we need to communicate the gospel with people who are lost. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be what? Let me show you a verse, a couple of verses down. Romans 10, 17. Look what it says. So faith comes from what? Here's what that means. Nobody will ever call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Nobody will ever have the faith required in Romans 10, 13 without the hearing of the gospel that we learn about in Romans 10, 17. 
We must speak the gospel. We must communicate the gospel. We must have gospel conversations. What's a gospel conversation? It's where you live, work, and play, sharing the good news of Jesus with lost people in your space and inviting them to follow Jesus. That's what a gospel conversation is. It's bringing Jesus into your everyday conversation. Why would I do that? Here's why. Because Jesus loves lost people. And he wants to reach lost people through you. A good friend of mine, Jimmy Scroggins, wrote a book on this idea of gospel conversations. Listen to what he said. The average person has 27 conversations per day. We talk about sports, weather, clothes, shoes, movies, and TV shows. We're even willing to debate the nuances of politics, the intricacies of health issues, or the complexities of national economic matters. However... When it comes to bringing up the simple gospel, we shy away. We break out in hives. Our palms sweat. Our tongues are tied. And we find ourselves talking about everything but the gospel. The idea of injecting Jesus into our conversations causes great anxiety and fear for ordinary believers. Don't miss this. And pastors alike. Some of you think because I get up here and do this every Sunday that it's just easy for me to get out there and have gospel conversations. No, it's easy to get up here and do this out there. Let me tell you what happens. My palms start sweating. My tongue gets tied. My mouth gets dry. But if we're going to let Jesus seek and save the lost to us, we got to build relationships with lost people in our space, and we got to have gospel conversations. So here's what we want to do this weekend as we begin this two weeks of hope for the world. We want to give you a challenge we're going to do it through a video. I want you to watch this video about a challenge we're laying in front of you as Hope Church. Earlier this year, our pastor shared with us a powerful question. Who's your one? This simple question helps keep what is on the heart of Jesus, which is the losses of people in our city, the West, and the world, in front of us as his followers. As a church, we sought to identify one person in our circle of influence here in the Las Vegas Valley that we desire to see embrace the gospel. We were given three simple ways to respond to this question. Pray, invite, tell. Pray for your one for at least 30 days. Invite your one to a gather time at Hope Church and tell your one the good news of Jesus. We started with one, but the goal is everyone. Everyone in your circle of influence hearing and embracing the gospel. But how? How is the message of Jesus going to be shared on school campuses, places of business, neighborhoods, and parks across the 70 plus zip codes in the Las Vegas Valley? The answer is simple. As Jesus followers, we must have gospel conversations where we live, work, and play. Throughout history, those who live in large cities, remote places, and everywhere in between have been exposed to the gospel by those God placed there to share the hope of Jesus with the lost. Here's a quick story about two friends who work side by side every day and how God used a gospel conversation to change a young man's life. So one of the cool things I get to do at my work is I get to work with community service people that come to me through the courts, like my friend Mickey here. Um, Mickey came to me about a year ago 
just just a broken kid, just beat up, um, and and God had laid it on my heart that he was hurting, and and I was that same guy. I was a hurting guy before I got to to see to meet Jesus. So after working together for a week and uh, being able to share the gospel with Mickey, he had some questions and, and some reservations about that, and he wanted to. We we worked through that and we talked through that, and. Um, and um, then Mickey, shortly after that, accepted Jesus. When I first started working with Scott, I was not in the best place, and I noticed that he was always really happy and really positive, and I wanted some of that in my own life, and I found out that the common factor was Jesus, and after I met Jesus, my entire life changed. Every week, all across our city, Jesus followers are having gospel conversations. Today, we want to introduce a challenge specifically for our church over the next 50 days. We are calling this challenge 1,000 Conversations. Starting today and going until our first Christmas Eve service on December 22nd, we are setting a goal to intentionally engage in 1,000 gospel conversations as a church. Who is God leading you to share the gospel with? It may be your one that you identified earlier this year. It may be your next one that lives in your neighborhood, works in your office, or goes to your school. Over the next 50 days, let's strive to intentionally and lovingly share the gospel with others. 1,000 relationships, 1,000 opportunities, 1,000 conversations. So there's the challenge over the next 50 days leading up to Christmas. What better gift could we give to Jesus to celebrate his birthday than to tell his story to a thousand people in Las Vegas? Now, to be honest with you, a church that's going to have over 3,000 people here today, we ought to shatter a thousand gospel conversations. But we want to set a mark of a thousand gospel conversations between now and Christmas. When you came in today, there was a little green slip of paper that said, I had a gospel conversation with blank. Well, we're going to have out in the courtyard today and then next weekend as well. And then after that, we're going to have a place over here at the front where we're going to have a board. I'm going to put a picture of it up here on the screen. And this board uh, is going to have a, a, an opportunity for you to be able to, you can see it up there. It's a board that we're going to have up here. And you can, as you have gospel conversations, we want you to write the name of the person that you've talked to. You're going to roll this up. And you're going to just slide it in one of those holes. There are 1,000 holes on this board. So over the next 50 days, we're going to just, you can do that after the service. You can do that when you get here at church. You can do that during a response time. You can do that during worship. Some of you may hit four or five of these holes and get to fill them up with slips of paper. And then we're going to take every one of these slips of paper and we're going to pray for these people by name. We're going to lift them to the Lord and be praying for them. So this is not... A thousand people that you want to talk to. This is once you've talked to them about Jesus, you bring this back, you punch it in one of these holes, and our prayer is by the first service of our Christmas Eve services, we filled all 1,000 of these holes with gospel conversations. And wouldn't it be awesome? What if, what if 10% of the people we share the gospel with come to know Jesus? You know what that means? Between now and Christmas, a hundred new people that we've gotten to lead to Christ personally, where we live, where we work. What if 20%? What if 50%? What if 50% of the thousand people that we share the gospel with, that's 500 people by Christmas that we could see come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And let me share the last thing with you, and I'm done. Jesus loves the lost. Jesus reaches the lost through the found. Here's the last thing. Jesus rejoices when the lost are found. Did you hear it in the story? He said, man, there is more rejoicing in heaven. Here's what that means. A few moments ago, I led some of you to pray and you gave your life to Jesus. Did you know because you did that right now, there's a party in heaven? They are throwing a party, man. They are high-fiving. They are running around celebrating because you who were lost has now been found. What if over the next 50 days, 100, 200, what if, what if daily we were seeing people come to Christ, weekly seeing people come to Christ, that we're leading to Jesus? There's the challenge. Let's connect with lost people. Let's communicate the gospel with lost people. And let's rejoice when those that are lost are found. Let's pray together today.